You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Why don't we stand one more time? We're going to read a longer text of Scripture. Uh, It's called Isaiah 58. Uh, You can see it on the back of your bulletin. Uh, there, but we're going to be reading through the whole entirety of Isaiah 58. It's only 14 verses, but uh, let's spend some time uh, reading this together. So it's on the screen for us as well if you don't have a Bible. <clears throat> but I encourage you to bring your Bibles and follow along there. It says this Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call... And the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, And call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God. Yeah, grab a seat. Um... If that last portion there, just the, the verbiage of the reader and the church is new to you, this is, we say this is the word of God and thanks be to God because every time we open up the scripture, we believe here in, in, at the Shore Church that every time we open up this scripture, every time we read from it, we believe that it's actually the words of God. And if that's the case, would, would we be different? 
If we actually believe this, would, would we be different in this world? Would we act rightly? Would we live differently to our neighbor and to the people around us and especially our family and those here? Or would we hear it like a lot of times on a Sunday, we hear it and then walk out and just forget what we've heard? Yell at the guy who cuts you off. Yell at your neighbor for throwing his trim, tree trimmings over your fence or, or whatever it might be where that neighbor parked and his friends parked right in front of my house. I'm ticked. And we've forgotten the Word of God. It's so easy. We all do this. But this message by God through the prophet Isaiah closes with, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So again, a reminder that everything out of this book is from the mouth of God. It's inspired by God to his prophet Isaiah in this case. So as we go back now and see what instructions the Lord has given us when it comes to fasting, I guess the question is, are we going to forget? The question is, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do with the word that has been spoken by God? How are we going to live differently this week and the months to come? So let's pray that, and then we'll jump into the text. Jesus, we come before you. We see that you have spoken this, and and you've spoken these 66 books, and you've given us enough for us to know salvation. You've given us enough to know who we are before a holy God. You've given us enough to know that you are a Redeemer. You've given us enough to know that you are a father who loves his children, that he warns us, that you warn us of the things to come, that you're planning, that you've planned from the beginning of time. And so help us, Lord, uh, as we unpack this chapter uh, in your word, help us uh, take hold of it and apply it to our lives this week and be faithful with one another as we do so. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a quick snapshot, to, like we're, it's kind of a weird thing to just drop into like Isaiah 58. There's 66 chapters in, in the book of Isaiah, and to really drop in, it's, it's kind of hard. So let me give you a really quick snapshot of this book. It's like, like I said, 66 chapters in this one little book, one big book. It's a major prophet. Isaiah is a major prophet in the Bible, prophesying uh, for the, literally speaking the words of God. God would speak to him, then he'd speak into the people of God, the message that he had received. And Isaiah like, is called to this. He's called to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we see that right in verse 1 there. But the message, again, quick snapshot, is one of coming judgment. So from chapters 1 through 39 is, is, is Isaiah, God through Isaiah, warning his people. There, there, if you do not heed to my commands, my laws, my statutes, there's going to be a coming judgment for you. And it makes sense. Like, as a good father, the same thing you you would say to your children. It makes sense. But in chapter 40, all the way through 66, we have this amazing message of hope. Isaiah changes his word. God changes the word from 40 to 66. Now we have this message of hope coming. There's a redeemer. There's one that's going to be taking your oppression upon himself. There's one that's going to be taking stripes, and he's going to be stricken for you. He's going to be cursed for you. He's going to take your cursing upon himself. There's this great hope in this message in Isaiah. Isaiah is actually known as the gospel of the Old Testament. And we see this as we read, but 
And so there's so much here to learn as we, as we walk through this, but the, but the people of God have been taken and are exiled. They're, they are oppressed and stricken and poor, and this message of hope of, man, someone's coming to take your oppression upon himself. Isaiah's message to the people is that exile is not your identity. Oppression is not your identity, and oppressing others is not what I want, you, want for you. God, through Isaiah, is calling his people to stop oppressing one another, care deeply for the homeless and the poor, and fast rightly. So I guess the question for us again today is, what is a good and true fast for the Lord? What is he looking for when it comes to fasting? Especially for those found in exile, we essentially are, are in exile. We heard this a couple weeks ago as Johannes came and preached for us. I heard one of the guys here that I meet with, and he goes, you know what, I would really have listened more to Johannes if he didn't look so much like Trudeau. And uh, fortunately enough, we had a video camera, like, so I was able to go, ah, I don't really see the resemblance, but, but it was funny nonetheless. But he talked about living in exile, and we are ones that are living in exile out of the book of Jeremiah. But we have fasting all throughout, and so let me give you a quick snapshot as we jump in and parachute into this chapter. Let me give you a quick snapshot again. So I gave you a quick snapshot of Isaiah. Now I want to give you a quick snapshot of what fasting is in the Scriptures. And we see it everywhere. Like, it's everywhere. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights while receiving the Ten Commandments the second time. Remember the first time he came down the mountain and all the people were worshiping the golden calf, and he was ticked, and he smashed the Ten Commandments that God wrote on the tablets with his finger. And so he goes back up into the mountain in Exodus 34. We see this. Like, he's again now scribing the Ten Commandments on these two extra tablets that because he, he, he broke the first two. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. King David fasted while his son was dying. The prophet Joel fasted to avert the punishment of God. Esther called for a fast before risking her life entering before the king. If that's unfamiliar for you, like to go to the king, like think of the king as God. To go to, to, go to God, you have to be holy. You have to be called to his presence. And in the same kind of foreshadow in the picture in Esther's time, she wanted to go and speak something to the king. And so she called all of her people to fast for three days because she didn't know if she was going to come out of that room dead or alive, because she was going to go and enter into the king's presence without being called. Forty days, we've got King David fasting. We've got Joel, the prophet Joel, fasted to avert the punishment of God. Again, we've got Esther fasting for three days. we got Jesus in the New Testament fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, along with Moses in chapter 4 of Luke. The early church actually fasted, the whole church body together fasted before sending out Paul on his missionary journey. And then Paul fasted before appointing elders in the church. See, fasting is all throughout the story of God. It's, it's through the story. It's, it's coupled tightly with worship and prayer as well. And we see this throughout. When it comes to fasting, the Puritans coined the phrase soul fattening. This is what they called fasting. This is like a soul fattening thing, discipline that you would practice. And they coined that in the 17th century. They did this because when you deny yourself physical food and couple it with worship and prayer, you're, something happens in your soul. It, it feels refreshed. It feels fattened. 
It's like I don't even need the food anymore. Jesus says the Word of God itself, when you fast and pray and study the Word, it's like the Word is your food. It's something that nourishes you in some way. You begin to feed your soul. See, Moses' charge to his people says in Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, so in that passage in Deuteronomy He's been explaining to the people a long time about what is going on here. Who are you to look for? Just massive summary. And then in 19 verses, chapter 30, verses 19 to 20, therefore, all the things that I've said previously, therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him for what? He is your life. This, it's, it's not telling something different. Friends, the story of Scripture, this is where you will find true hope. God, His Word, this is what we are called to seek after. It, it is your life. But over the centuries, we fasted horribly, right? When you hear of fasting, a lot of times it's like in your head, and I know it's in your head because it's in mine as well. When, you, when you're challenged to fast, a lot of times it's like, oh, sweet, I can lose some weight. Is anybody, like, is it just me? Maybe. Unsafe place here. Uh, so, Yeah. Sometimes it's a Christian weight loss plan, right? Like, it's like, sweet, I get to fast and I'll drop some pounds and uh, I'll feel spiritual. We use fasting as a sign to others of spiritual maturity. We use fasting as a punishment, thinking God will be pleased at us for harming our physical body for the sake of Him. Maybe we don't fast and now you're feeling this shame upon yourself. Or you read texts of Scripture talking about fasting. He's like, oh man, I've never done that. And I feel shame. And Satan is so good at coming in and those back doors and just twisting the things, the commands and the instructions that the Lord gives and twisting it to make you feel guilty and shamed. It's not how it is supposed to be. It's not. Fasting is a gift. And hear me on this, church. Fasting is not required. Nowhere in Scripture you'll see that fasting is required. But it is expected... And the cool thing is, it's rewarded. It's not required, but it's expected and rewarded. Let me show you. Going back to that Jesus' amazing sermon, Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18, we get a really small glimpse. As Jesus preaches this amazing sermon, he explains what fasting is. And he says this, And when you fast, there's the expectation. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. There's that spiritual maturity looking, hey, look at me. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. Still, still there's a reward, even though they fast inappropriately. And then again in verse 17, but when you fast, there's the expectation again. Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So not required, but expected of us as followers of Jesus 
and you will receive a reward. Again, in Matthew 9, if you flip over a couple chapters to Matthew 9, verse 15, you have John's disciples coming to Jesus and they go, why do we fast and your disciples don't? And Jesus responds to him in, in verse 15, says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Like, it makes no sense at that point. You're seeing Jesus face to face. You're walking with him. You're doing ministry with him. Why would we at this time fast? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Again, it's an expectation that this is going to happen. You're going to long to see the Lord. You're going to long to seek his face. You're going to, it's a longing. So fasting is a mourning, a longing, a sign of grief to seek deliverance, to seek repentance, to gain victory, and to worship God. This is what fasting is. It's a fattening of the soul. And if we were to define biblical fasting, it would be something like fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for a limited time for the purpose of drawing near to God. Now, we don't see fasting from social media or from coffee. We, di- we just don't see that anywhere in the Scripture. It's always food. It's always food. Now, social media, as you know, isn't in the Scriptures coffee's not in there. We don't know. Is it, is it made yet? I don't know. Ask Kevin. Right? Where is he? There he is. Kevin, do some research. Um, we don't see it there, but we also see a variety of timelines in the scripture. Like we, we see one day fast. We see three day. We see seven days. We see 21 days. We see 40 days which tells us that, that there is no time frame for you. you. You get to decide the time frame. It's voluntary, but again, expected and rewarded. Now, some are physically unable to abstain from food. Like, I get it, but that is a minority. I don't know if anybody's here that, that if you don't eat, that your, your body would get thrown off, you actually die. And so there are people out there that have this, and they have to fast in different ways. But fasting is from food. And it's meant to challenge us. It's meant to see our weakness. And that's exactly what it does. So a few things. Biblical fasting is the realization that you are human and God is God. The removal of food for a short amount of time helps you see and feel your weakness. You literally feel your weakness. You need, you feel weaker. You feel like you're missing something. And you know that missing something is food that, 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 that gives you strength to move through the day. See, our efforts in this world, though, as, as you fast and feel that weakness, our efforts in this world get us nowhere without the Lord. We begin to realize that even the eating gets us nowhere. It's the Lord that is our strength. See, fasting is the expression of the hope you have within you and a cry of worship to the one who can eternally save you. This is that fast. And so there's much more. Again, this is just a snapshot of what we see from cover to cover in the Scripture. And there's so much more. There's so much more we can go. But I want to give you an outline for this morning in Isaiah 58. And the outline's on the screen. It's the setup, high thinking, low acting in verses 1 through 3. The rebuke, the true fast, the example, humility by way of love. All right, so that's our outline for this morning. Uh, let's ch- let's uh, tackle the first one there really quickly. So the setup, high thinking and low acting, verses 1 through 3 again. This is God speaking to Isaiah. This is God coming to Isaiah and go, this is what I want you to say. Cry aloud. I want, you to, I want you to scream this. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. 
Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Man, this, this means like he's yelling at the people. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of God their sins, yet they seek me. Isaiah, just so you know, this is what the people are doing. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteous, righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. But I've got a problem with them. This is what some of the things that they say to me. Why have we fasted, Lord, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And then God pipes in again. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So much of Scripture, as you're reading through this, much of Scripture is more understood the slower sometimes you read the thing you understand who's speaking in this time this is a little bit of a confusing if you just read it fast you might get confused over but slowing down is definitely helpful so God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah and is calling out what is going on in the people like I said earlier fasting is expected and the people of God are actually engaging in it they're doing this but again like through their history they are missing what God desires for them they're doing it wrongly so, so like a good father, God, by way of Isaiah, is helping them see what he desires. Like a good father, he wants them, like in Galatians 5.1, it says, imitate God. This is what our call is, imitate him. Like a good father is coming to the people and going, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to practice fasting. And he gives them examples of it. This is a good father. And so we need to read it this way. This is a father that's coming to his people and going, follow me. Let me show you how this is done. And so we need to see this in that light. And the first verse is in this command to Isaiah, cry to the people and show them their sin. This speaks of a gracious and loving God towards his people. Again, cry out to my people, help them see this. That's love. You're going to come across people on the streets that say, God of the Old Testament hates, he's a judgment God, he's, he's got no grace, he's got no mercy, he's just going to kill you and send you to hell. Read the Bible. That's a loving God. This is how I want you to respond. This is how I want you to follow me. This is how I want you to love me. It speaks of God's grace. He doesn't just bring judgment, but he warns, he alerts his people. He helps them see their faults. The second verse in the, in the, is the reason for the coming rebuke and for the title of the point, high living, low acting. See, the people of God are thinking highly of themselves without noticing the sin of their own heart. Let me say that again. They're thinking highly of themselves without seeing the inner heart. Does that sound familiar for you? We oftentimes will think and compare ourselves with someone else, right? I'm not that bad. Thinking more highly of myself than that person. All along forgetting the evil in my heart. I was, I'm still this way. I don't know, again, I'm like confessing all kinds of things and everybody's like, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) But man, it's like, I'm still this way. Man, I battle this daily. Lord, help us. 
like thinking too highly of ourselves. We see this in the New Testament as well. Paul saying this, don't think too highly of yourself. Humble yourself. And this people, they need this, re- this warning as, as we do. See, we come to church, act righteously in front of one another, all the while our hearts are, des- are desiring things of the flesh. Church, before we cast any stones at the nation of Israel, we must first take the plank out of our own eye. Before we cast any stones at one another, we must take the plank out of our own eye. We must look inward at our heart. What are we doing that's evil? Like, man, I lived my life in my high school days, like from Monday to Saturday, very different than Sunday. And on Sunday, I knew all the answers. And I knew other people's sin. And man, I was the pointer of fingers. Look at them. Look at that. Unbelievable. I would never do something like that. And then Monday, do something exactly like that. Man, we need help. Then we have verse 3. The people blame God for, the, for their, their, like their forefather Adam back in Genesis 3. They blame God in their question to him. Right? They ask an all-powerful, sovereign God, why? Like, why don't you see my fasting? Why don't you acknowledge my humility? Like, think of that question. Why don't you acknowledge how awesome I am? Like, it's crazy blindness. But again, we have the same blindness. It isn't wrong to ask the why questions, They're good, but the motivation of the heart is important to recognize. See, this is comical if it wasn't so sad and so true of the people of God in each one of us. It wouldn't be, it's just comical. See, we are proud of our righteous living and our lowly acting and our so-called humility. God, why don't you acknowledge how humble I am? See, we elevate our holiness and our humility while in actuality we are living a life of pride. And that's what both of them are. A false humility is just hidden behind this false humility. What's behind there is pride. It's pride of life. And the other one is just this narcissistic behavior of like, no, I'm, I'm perfect. Like all those people are wrong. Both being pride. See, these people have been given a warning now, but by the very mouth of God, And the crazy thing is, when we have read this now, so have we. So have we. The next verses are the rebuke, 4 and 5, as if the first section wasn't a rebuke enough. But look at 4 and 5. It says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist, probably elevating yourself over another and just speaking poorly of others. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. So your prayer life is going to suck. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is that what I want? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? What a rebuke. And these people have heard it already, right? Let's, let's flip back to Isaiah chapter 1 really quickly. You can, it's not going to be on the screen, so please... Either flip or scroll in your Bibles, you can see it, or just listen to it. But I would love for you to look at it. 
It's a longer rebuke, again, that these people have already heard. Isaiah said this already, back all the way back to chapter 1. And if we read verses 13 to 17, it says this, Bring no more vain offerings. Stop bringing these vain, thinking highly of yourself offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly any longer. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves now. And this is a good instruction again from a good father. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He's just saying the same thing again 58 chapters later. But the rebuke is there and it's already already has been there and these people haven't heard it. See, fasting is not moaning about what you are doing as if God pat you on the back for your sacrifice of food. That's not what fasting is. God is looking for change. That's what he's want. He's always looking for change. He's not satisfied with where you're at. He is wanting to sanctify you to become more like him. He loves you where you're at, but he wants you to be changed towards like him. This is sanctification. See, God is looking for that change. God desires that we fight for good, that we seek justice, correct oppression. This is what God desires, not allowing evil to own us any longer. And taking time away from food can help spark us back into what we have been called to. Friends, we've been called to this. It's over and over and over again in the scripture. Put aside your flesh Walk in the Spirit over and over. Be a slave. Don't be a slave of unrighteousness. Be a slave of righteousness. So like these people in 58 chapters, they missed the first one and then probably missed maybe even the second one. How many have we heard? So this has been my prayer that we would hear the rebuke today. That we would change. And I'm saying we because I needed it too. Let's look now at the true fast in verses 6 through 12, the meat of the text. And it basically, if you really read through this, he says the same thing twice over. Is not this the fast that I choose? Okay, now when you read that and God's mouth is speaking, you've got to pay attention. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. What an amazing promise that is. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, 
the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Wow. So before I summarize this point, please recognize this is not about what we can do, but all that the Lord has done. We need to see this and we need to understand this rightly. God is the creator. He was before anything existed. God is eternally, like he's, he's eternal. He's, he's as far back as you can ever imagine and as far forward as you can ever imagine. He's eternal. And then he created, he spoke us into existence. He formed us, breathed life into our lungs. This is who we are. We are subservient to the creator God. So if that's the case, if that's the order, which it is, then this is not about a works-based religion. This is just doing what we've been created to do. So again, this is not, don't read the, then you will do this. If you do this, then I'll have love for you. No, this is the creator God going, this is how I want you to image me. I created you. You are an image bearer. Now I want you to live this way. It's so sweet and good to hear the commands of God. So here's six instructions just from this text, and there's probably more but six ones that I pulled out. The first one is run. And this is in verse six. Loose the bonds of wickedness. And this is application for all of us. All right? So buckle up. Let's, let's apply the scripture now. Loose the bonds of wickedness. As I'm talking, I want you to think about what wickedness are you holding on to? So purge what is wicked in you. In the New Testament, like I've already said, it would read, walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, or be slaves of righteousness, not of unrighteousness. So what does this instruction mean for you presently? This is instruction from the Lord. This is straight from verse 6. Loose the bonds of wickedness. What is this eternal word, the word that will never fail? Even when Jesus returns, it's still going to be there. What is the challenge for you today, this week? What wickedness are you holding on to and allowing to linger and you know that you know that you know it's there? Like it's the first thing that pops up to your mind. What are you willing to let go of this week? Second application, second instruction, undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. So just to be clear, a yoke, if you, you're unfamiliar with that terminology, a yoke was to go over the oxen to, to help guide and to, you could move it left or you could move it right, this big, huge beast of an animal, and you could direct it anywhere you want. It was enslaved to you, and you'd use the yoke to move that, that animal to plow your field. 
But the prophets and others also use this yoke of slavery to show that you would be enslaved to the king or the people, the, the, the wicked, and they would move you and direct you wherever you wanted to go. You were enslaved to this yoke, this burden upon you was, was a guiding for you. This is a command for us as Christians to release those enslaved. Maybe in some way you have enslaved one another by your thoughts, by your motivation. Maybe you've enslaved your children. Maybe you've enslaved your wife or your husband. Maybe you've enslaved your neighbor in some way or fashion. We need to do some deep thinking on this. Undo the straps of the yoke. Maybe you need to undo the strap that you're enslaving yourself to. You need to do some deep thinking on this. What is this in your life? And the instruction here is not just to take the yoke off, but break it. Break it. This, friends, is the true fast. We ought to be on the front lines of this. Why? Because we're free. We're free in Christ. We're completely redeemed when we confess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. We believe upon him for salvation. His life, his death, his resurrection has made us free. We're, we're gone. The yoke is gone. The yoke of slavery is gone. When you trust upon Jesus for your salvation, you are completely free. Now you're to be a freer of people. And Jesus uses this terminology of yoke in a different way as well. In Matthew 11, he says this in verse 28 to 30. It says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Man, may we learn from the Lord today. Gentle. Is your character gentle? Are you lowly? Are you thinking highly of another? Are you seeking out Jesus and putting his yoke on, which is, is light and burden-free, because you're free. The next three are all self-explanatory. Share your bread with, hung- with the hungry. I've got all kinds of plans for us locally, for mission-wise. How can we be better as a church, sharing our food with the hungry? So I've got some ideas for that come in the fall. Bring the homeless poor into your house. This is a big stretch and a challenge for you. Bring the whole homeless in the home. When you see the naked to cover them, these are all self-explanatory and things that we need to start seeking out and looking after. It's, it's actually just really quick side note is I went to a Tim Hortons this week and, and sat with this uh, Bible on, on, my count, on, the, on the table and my laptop and I was writing this sermon and a, and a man that looked like he had not showered for probably two years. His clothes looked like he got them and he's never taken them off. And I could barely understand his voice. Like I had to lean in really tight to actually hear what he was saying and, and I had an opportunity to buy him a drink. All he wanted was like a, a fruit quencher. I had no idea what this thing was, but it was just this fruit juice. And, and I found out just by really quick questions as I talked to him that he actually went to a Christian high school all of his life in Kelowna. And then just fell away, roofed for 20 years, had a bad back, and then now he's on the streets. 
We need to look for these people. And I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and, and share salvation, something I know he's probably heard years ago. But my prayer was, man, would you, would you just believe upon Jesus for your salvation? Have you believed upon him? Are you trusting in him? He loves you. When you see the naked, to cover them. Lastly, not to hide yourself from your own flesh. This is a warning that even you can ignore the evil within you. This is what we've talked about before. You're pointing the finger. You're, you're calling other people sinners, but you're never looking inwardly and seeing the depravity of your own soul. And this is that warning. This is the pointing, like I said, the pointing the finger, the wickedness in you that you don't even see. So we need to begin to see it. See, the first five things are things we do for others. This one we must recognize of ourselves. And you can see then the fast that is required is a full readjustment of your lifestyle. It's a full readjustment. This is the true fast. It's not a one-time thing or a one-day thing or a three-day or a seven-day or a 21-day or a 40-day. It a, it's, a, it's a lifetime of change, of readjustment. In theological terms, like I said, this is the road of sanctification to become like Christ, to imitate the Father. And man, may we, as we imitate the Father, all these little kids will begin to imitate us. They'll begin to see the light in you. They'll begin to see the living water spring out of you and just want to seek Jesus out with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. See, the beauty of this amazing chapter is that God shares this in the last two verses pointing us back to the seventh day of creation. And it's kind of a weird, all of a sudden he just jumps into the Sabbath here, but it's God speaking, so it always connects. We see this in verse 13 and 14. Again, I'll read it. It says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then... You shall take delight in the Lord, and I will. Man, every time I come across an I will in Scripture, underline it. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And what a summary statement from the Lord. Pointing to the Sabbath ought to remind us all, even the days of Isaiah, that the work is fulfilled. All is accomplished. Remember the six days God gave us, man, a purpose of life to have dominion over the land, to be fruitful and multiply, to bear the image of God and to scatter around the whole world bearing his image, being a light to the people around. And man, we messed that one up. But he's calling us to obey his commands and love. Take delight in the Lord is what he's saying. Honor him. Run from the flesh. He will then reward us, filling us with the light of Christ in verse 8 and 10, which we've seen in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Don't just put your hide your lamp, but put it on a lampstand. Shine it to the world around you. And when we follow the Lord, he will fill us with the light of Christ in verse 8 and 10, making us like springs of living water to the poor, the oppressed, the homeless around us in verse 11. And this should spark your mind back to the Gospels or forward, in this case, forward to the Gospels in John chapter 4 when Jesus was at the well with the woman. 
And he said to her, like, I've got water that you don't know of. And it's like this spring of living water. And she was like, give it to me. I want that kind of water. And we have this water in here. It's like garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This is what we are in verse 11. When we fast rightly, when we give over our life to Jesus completely and begin to live out his commands for us as his children. And that's the call for us. Church, may this chapter, there's so much more, so please do your due diligence seeking out more because there's so much more in this amazing chapter. But church, we are called to live this out. May we fast like this. Let us fast from food that we might use that money to feed another or clothe the naked. Let us fast that we might share the good news of Jesus, loosening and breaking the yoke of slavery of wickedness that our people are locked into. Let us fast that we might help to stop oppression. And again, I ask the question close to the beginning of my message, what are we going to do with the word? What are we going to do with the word? Isaiah at the end here says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is not me. I'm saying the word. That's why I want your Bibles open and in your Bible on your app or on a paper Bible so that you can see I'm just reading the words of God. The Lord has spoken. So now, do we believe this? And if yes, then what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let's pray. Jesus, um, what a command, what a rebuke, what a reminder from our loving, gracious Father. Thank you for being such a good Father. Thank you for being a, being a great example to us dads here in the room that we might too be a good Father to our children. Thank you for being a great Father to, to, the, to the wives and the women and the and to the ladies here as well, that, that, we, that we all can learn from you, Lord, of what we are called to as humans, to live out our life for your name's sake and for your glory. And in this practice, this spiritual discipline of fasting, that, that, that you will reward us in it, that you'll create in us a light to light up like the noonday like a a spring of living water to the nations around us. Lord, I think all of us want that. And I pray um, that all of us will want that, that, Lord, you will challenge us, that you'll put your Holy Spirit in us and transform that desire, make it a desire of each one of us, that we will want the light and, and this living spring of water to flow out of us for your name's sake, not for ours, for your name's sake and your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 